if you're now facing yourself but 20 years old so back in college what career slash life advice will you tell the young jc i would tell myself to stop worrying about things out of my control and continue practicing ways to deal with a busy mind you know and I say that because at that time I dealt with pretty severe anxiety and some depression around that age. And I, I wish that I hadn't been so discouraged in, in managing my mental health because, you know, I could have learned about the benefits of, of mindfulness and, and things like emotional intelligence, like so much sooner. Learning design for games really made me realize that I was most interested in how people interact with products in general. I wanted to learn more about the impact that those interactions have on the lives of people and the role that design plays in making that impact positive. You know, some might say that visual design isn't necessary, or visual design skills rather, aren't necessary to become a successful UX designer, and I would agree. However, having strengths in visual design and design craft is a huge bonus as a UX designer. You know, it, it can help you stand out because you can take a product from rough concepts to high fidelity designs with attention to detail and quality every step of the way. You know what I mean? What's up everybody, I'm Guo, and you're listening to the Not Just Pixel Show. There's a lot to learn as a designer, so in this show I sit down with design professionals to understand how to grow as a designer and help you get that UX design internship or job. Let's get into it. Today I'm talking to JC Solis. JC currently works at Epic Games as a senior UX designer. Before Epic Games, he worked at Roblox as a senior UX designer and Unity before that. I first chatted with JC when I interned at Roblox last summer. At the time, I remember how awesome his end-to-end material manager project was, so I really wanted to chat with him. And we did it on one of my last days of the internship, and fast forward a few months, we ended up recording this episode after the internship. In this chat, we talked about various topics such as game versus product UX, the importance of visual design, and other topics as well. But what I really, really appreciated was JC's vulnerability towards the end when I asked him what advice he would give to his younger self. I would highly recommend listening to the very end of this conversation. So without further ado, here is my conversation with JC Solis. JC, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so it's been, I would say, a few weeks since our last chat. Super excited about this one. So I would love to start by going deep into your background. So I know that you graduated from the Art Institute of California with a major in game art and design. I wanted to delve into that a little bit more. So why did you decide to major in game art and design back in college? Sure. So growing up, I loved to draw and, and play video games, you know, like most kids do. But I was so moved by how games sort of expanded my imagination and creativity. You know, I loved how immersed I would get in these fantasy-like worlds. And mm. 
that immersion really can make you feel like you're living through the character that you're role-playing in a video game, right? And now keep in mind that my intro to games was Atari and the NES, and I witnessed the release of Sega Genesis and beyond. And so I became fixated on games like Super Mario World, Doom, Mortal Kombat, but the Nintendo 64 was something else. And so the wow factor of Super Mario 64, for example, was so intense for me. And I think it was because really nobody at that time had seen a console achieve such quality. And so after that, I started to wonder how all these games were made, right? And then, of course, came along things like Counter-Strike and Unreal Tournament and Halo. And that's all I really spent my time doing. And, um, and the precision and skill behind these types of games are just insane. But anyways, huge tangent. Back to my point, the point I'm trying to make here is, um, you know, I really just ultimately developed a passion for the art and, and the magic of games, which naturally sort of led me to, to study game art and design, you know, to figure all of that out. Yeah, I'm also curious because currently you're working as a UX designer. I'm wondering how has what you learn in school, like your game art design major, what are some of the things that might have impacted you as a UX designer? Sure. So I would say, you know, I learned the entire game development process, right? And I learned industry standard creator tools and and the fundamentals of art and design. But I think that the learning design for games Mm -hmm. really made me realize that I was most interested in how people interact with products in general. I wanted to learn more about the impact that those interactions have on the lives of people and the role that design plays in making that impact positive. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, for example, like I would try to find every reason as to why I felt like the PlayStation controller felt like an extension of of my body, whereas Mm -hmm. others felt like, like a brick in my hand. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, but at that time, um, I didn't know how to pursue that curiosity because, you know, the product and UX design professions weren't, weren't as widely known as, Mm -hmm. as they are today. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I would say that it really just allowed me to think about design more broadly and then sort of led me to, you know, realize that underlying interest that I had in in design. And I think bringing it back to the game design major a little bit. I also saw that you did a concept art internship during your college years. Did you consider becoming a full-time, I guess, concept artist or game designer post-grad? I did, actually. Um, I I wanted to be an environment artist or or a Mm -hmm. concept artist initially. And I I entered at a a small studio working on browser-based games. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I, I had trouble finding my place in the game development world. I, I tend to compare it to like the film industry mm-hmm. regarding, you know, the advantage that one has when having a solid network on mm-hmm. top of, you know, talent and skill. But, you know, in either case, I suppose the stars weren't really aligning for me, so to speak. And and I, I believe it was all for good reason. You know, once I learned like the concept of crunch time and mm-hmm. ways that a studio's culture can become toxic, you know, I, I was unsure if that was something that I could handle sustainably. Mm-hmm. So I guess like looking back, it was maybe um, like may- maybe at the moment, like you really wanted to do it. But then looking back, it's like, oh, it's actually, yeah, a blessing in disguise. Totally. 
100%. And I think I'm curious, like then after that realization of, I don't think game design, I don't think concept art might be the career for me. How did you enter the world of UX design? Sure. Yeah. So it was a bit of an interesting journey for me. I actually, I ended up starting my career in graphic design. And so from 2011 to I think 2015, I designed for print and web. I was working on, you know, things like marketing material for campaigns and trade shows um, and did a lot of design for product packaging. Um, and also at times I was actually leveraging the 3D modeling skills that I learned in school mm-hmm. to help design and conceptualize physical product, which was actually a, a great moment for me because there were a lot of times where I was wondering if I should have studied something different, right? I mm-hmm. wasn't sure if I was on the right path or um, or where I where I really wanted to go. And so being able to leverage the skills that I learned to create more value as a designer, you know, made me feel like I was taking the right path. And so mm-hmm. at the end of 2015, I was at a company called iFixit and mm-hmm. they host an online community focused on enabling people to repair what they own. They also share free online repair guides to, to fix your stuff as well, which is also mm-hmm. sort of community driven and outsourced or crowdsourced, I should I should say. And iFixit also sold proprietary tools to perform those repairs. And so while I was there, I worked on UI design for their website, mm-hmm. but design for really the entire customer experience. So anything from product pages to 3D renderings for those product pages, retail partnerships and campaigns, uh, packaging, swag, you name it. And so I would say, I, I would consider this point in my career as my introduction to UX. I started mm-hmm. thinking about customer journeys a lot more um, and studying UX during my free time. And mm-hmm. so the more that I learned, the more passionate I became and my hunger grew really uh, to establish myself as a UX designer. And so I couldn't stop reading and researching all aspects of, of the product design process. Got it, yeah. Did you know that, I guess this was an opportunity when you were at iFixit or did that naturally happen during the time that you were there? I honestly would probably, I'd say the latter. Um, it wasn't really, like I wasn't aware of that opportunity. It kind of just happened as I progressed in that mm-hmm. role. And once I started learning more about the concept of UX and, and the profession and the whole domain, is really when I started to identify those small moments of opportunity in my role that I could try to immerse myself in that in the UX practice, right? For certain projects that we were working on, um, sort of look at things from a holistic UX perspective for everything that we were doing. So um, that's kind of how things happen there. Got it. Yeah. I think speaking of holistic UX, I think one thing that just popped into my head, because we we just touched upon like how your game R Major has impacted you as a UX designer, I think one thing that I thought of was that normally when you think of like game UX, it might be a little bit different from typical product UX because sometimes like game UX, there's like different challenges. Um, You don't want to make the game as easy as possible for the player themselves versus like a product UX where like you do want to make the flow as simple as possible, just make it easy as possible for them to complete an action. I'm curious... Have you came across that, I guess, difference um, or realization in that sense? That was just something that suddenly popped into my head. No, that's great. That's a a really good question. 
Honestly, I would say that I identified the common themes more than I did the differences because mm. I would say there are different ways that certain problems are solved or executed on, you know, in games versus like traditional product design. But like when I started to think about trying to identify similarities and differences, like one of the common themes I picked up on is the aspect of delivering joy and delight, right, to users. Mm. And that's something that I think we try to do in product design in general, and it applies to games as well. And now I like the point that you raised about ease of use, because I do totally agree. But at the same time, you know, when you hop into a video game, there are usually the different levels of difficulty that a, a player can mm. choose before they start the experience, right? So they can pick the easy mode and it's, they're sort of like guided through, they're guided through the experience and that sort of thing. Um, mm. Bosses are easier to, you know, to be in defeat and that sort of thing, right? Whereas in traditional product design, you know, you might have um, the experience optimized for mm. a novice, um, non-technical person, or some mm. products are optimized for highly technical advanced folks, right? So it kind of depends. But mm -hmm. those are sort of the things that I that I started to think about when I was starting to make that transition. Got it. So fundamentally, it's to create a user delight and joy. And I guess in games, there, there's an added aspect of making it more challenging to reach that point so that when you do reach that point it's much more rewarding satisfying let's say like defeat a boss for example that was like really hard oh definitely and i would say that in video game design like there is a lot more emphasis on personalization right mm. like you can customize your control mapping you can customize difficulty you can customize um, accessibility settings mm. um, all that sort of thing to cater to however it is that you want to you know, experience the game. Whereas, you know, I think there are a lot of software products that, you know, do the same thing. But if we think about product design for mobile or web, um, you know, that might not be always the case. So that's just another thing that came to mind. I would like to shift gears a little bit and talk about your career after iFixit as well. So the reason that we chatted in the first place was because that I was interning at Roblox and that you were working there as a senior UX designer. But I also wanted to delve into your time before Roblox where you worked at Unity. So just for listeners who might not have heard of Unity before, if you don't, Unity is a 3D development platform. It's very well known in the game industry and just 3D modeling in general. I'm curious, what did you work on at Unity as a UX designer on a very high level? Yeah, so I was on the UX research and development team there at Unity, and I was embedded in the graphics product team. And so mm. I was specifically focused on strategies for designing strategies for environment authoring tools. So basically uh, tools to, to build worlds for your mm. game or, or experience. Mm. I was also working on UI framework initiatives so the 19.3 refresh, for example, mm -hmm. if anyone is interested, I was also working on, you know, smaller initiatives like uh, UX for look development tools. Uh, I worked on a color picker redesign for the Unity editor and some shader mm -hmm. graph improvements. So different product areas, but it was fun. I had a lot of fun there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I probably mentioned this in our last few chats as well. But I find it interesting how, because you mentioned that in the beginning, you wanted to be an environmental 
artists, concept artists, and a Unity you worked on, basically the tool for people to create environments. Was that a coincidence or was that an intentional decision that I want to join this specific team on Unity? I would say it was a little bit of both. Like I stumbled upon that role on their job listings. And when I saw that it was specifically for the team working on environment tools, I was like, I was just mm-hmm. so interested and so driven to land that role because for me, it felt like a complete like 360 back to, right. um, you know, back to where in a way, like where I had started. Right. But it was mm-hmm. all encompassing in terms of it was in the domain that I was initially, you know, passionate about and working towards. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also, you know, in the user experience domain, you know, I would be able to design for the tools that artists use artists Mm -hmm. like, you know, myself wanted to become, right? So it was, it was just an amazing opportunity. And I felt like Mm -hmm. I had to, I had to reach it. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I I felt like I got lucky there, to be honest, though. Mm -hmm. So like, I guess like, yeah, luck plus opportunity, uh, plus preparation of you, like, been majoring in game art and also wanting to do more environmental stuff. That's where the stars kind of aligned during that time. Definitely. And and honestly, you know, I, um, when I applied for that role, I mean, I didn't really have any formal UX design experience, right? In a way, they took a chance on me. Mm-hmm. Um, they saw the potential and, um, and they, they communicated that, that to me, you know, during my, my interview process. And, and they took a chance on me. And sometimes, you know, that's all you need to hit the ground running and, and get to where you want to be. Yeah, for sure. And I'm also curious, like, after working at Unity, what are some of the things that you learned from working there that has impacted you as a designer? Oh, yeah. So there's a few things that stand out to me and that I still mm-hmm. sort of think about today. One is I really learned about the art of storyboarding and storytelling. Mm-hmm. And now storyboarding to me is, is an extremely powerful tool for illustrating workflows and and grasping how they interconnect to form a system. And you know, you can also use storyboarding to communicate new concepts that involve a system that doesn't even exist yet. Mm. And heck, heck, I've even used this method to to pitch UX visions, you know, to this day. Mm. Storytelling is an art form in itself as well that is so useful for communicating, persuading, um, and, and engaging people in what you have to say, right? And really, like, since, since the beginning of time, I mean, people have learned from stories or have used them for entertainment and joy or enjoyment, right? And so um, one of the things that I always think about is, I forget who had said this, but mm-hmm. it's easy to forget an idea, but it's much harder to ignore a story. That's, that always stuck with me. It's really true. And so I, I've been recent, I've actually been recently using something called Storytelling Tactics by a company called Pipdex. And it's a framework um, that you can use to improve your storytelling skills and use specific tactics to convey a story based on whatever outcome you're trying to reach or based on whatever idea you're trying to convey. And mm-hmm. it's really helped me build on my storytelling skills with excellent results. So, so I highly recommend yeah. that. And um, I would say another thing is I, I learned about the importance of building relationships with, mm-hmm. with cross-functional partners during my time at Unity. Mm-hmm. And, and really just how to deal with challenging scenarios when collaborating. And so 
to be a little bit more specific, mm-hmm. I, I realized that you you can't build trust with someone that you don't fully understand, right? And to understand someone, you need to get to know them more personally. I actually learned that in the form of challenges that I faced, mm-hmm. but I realized that the way to overcome them is by having a genuine interest in understanding what makes people tick, what's important mm-hmm. to them, and how they like to work and collaborate. And I think that is really, it's really much easier to do when you calm your ego, have empathy, and mm-hmm. and think objectively, right? And so right. those are those are the things that I learned there that have stuck with me. And I try to improve in, in these areas ever since I learned the importance of them. Yeah, and I'll definitely also add the storytelling tactic in the show notes as well. I feel like storytelling is always, I'm not exactly sure if it's considered a buzzword now, but I feel like at least as a designer, I see it all the time as one of the soft skills that a designer should have. I think very quickly, are there any um, notable, I guess, tips for storytelling that people can maybe start incorporating into their way of presenting their views, their opinions, what they want to say? Um, great question. I would say there's a lot of legwork, for at least in my perspective, that mm-hmm. um, that is needed beforehand to to even figure out what it is that you're wanting to say or what is the goal that you're trying to reach. And I think that's the most important part: mm-hmm. figuring mm-hmm. out what you want to get across to the audience, and first and foremost, actually knowing who your audience is. Mm-hmm. You know, there have been situations where. I presented a pitch or um, or designs to to a set of folks one way, and then you know if I'm presenting that same set of designs to another team or to folks in a different in a different role or team, I might present it a lot differently or convey it in a different way. Right? You have to figure out like what is it that your audience cares about most, mm-hmm. right? And what are the details that matter to them that you want to make sure to include in your story and what are the details that are less important right that can be removed or ignored so to speak and so i think i think those are a few things that come to mind um, that someone can uh, leverage to get started with with storytelling Mm. so i thinking in the shoes of the other person listening like what are some of the things that they want to hear from what you're about to say is is also a good good way of framing your story based on the different audience that you have definitely and and i think they're like the most basic story involves a conflict right or a problem mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, most most stories or movies um they have a conflict right and or a confrontation or, or what have you and so figuring out what that conflict is most of the time a project might have a problem or an obstacle or a conflict right that you had to overcome mm-hmm. and being able to identify those and speak to how you overcame those obstacles or, or conflicts, like it's super engaging. That's a really good way to, to get somebody engaged in your story. Mm. So uh, that's just another thing that, that just came to mind. I also want to shift gears again to after your time at Unity, you worked at Roblox for two and a half years, first as a UX designer, then you later was promoted to senior product designer. On a very high level, what did you work on at Roblox? Sure. So at Roblox, I was in the engine group. 
Um, I was designing creator tools for, for world building, rendering, and geometry in Roblox Studio. Some projects I could just quickly point out was um, a, a future vision for, for terrain tools in Roblox Studio, mm. uh, the material manager, um, some modeling tools, like the future of modeling tools and things like that. I also dabbled in some UX framework initiatives, so like mm. uh, establishing like an error handling framework, for example, was one of the things I was I had a heavy hand in as well. Mm. And so, and actually at the same time during my, my first year and a half, I provided ad hoc support for, for their marketplace as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. So a variety of different projects and at least during the time when I was there, the project that I saw that was called Chip was the Material Manager project. And I think looking at work, I realized that there was a huge emphasis on visual design. Was that impacted by your early days working as a graphic designer? And to you, how important is visual design? Oh, great questions. Um, so I, I would say that graphic design influenced my it's my grasp and emphasis on visual design quality mm. that experience um, and knowledge helped me make informed decisions regarding like composition, color, typography, mm. and overall styling. Right. And, mm. you know, some might say that visual design isn't necessary or visual design skills rather aren't necessary to become a successful UX designer. And I would agree. However, having strengths in visual design and design craft is a huge bonus as a UX designer. You know, it it can help you stand out because you can take a product from rough concepts to high fidelity designs with Mm -hmm. attention to detail and quality every step of the way. You know what I mean? And plus, Mm -hmm. it's it's fun to make stuff look cute and pretty. So, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's. Maybe that's even a little bit of a game design perspective as well. It's like whenever I see like really just beautiful games, I'm just always like, it's just a huge plus to play games that are aesthetically beautiful and also with a good storyline. Oh, totally. I think a good transition will be your time after Roblox and you left Roblox after I left during the internship and... I know this is not publicized yet, but I'm pretty sure you will after we launch this episode. I know that now you have a new dis- new role at a different place. I'm curious, like, how has the first few weeks been transitioning into a new, new design role? Yeah, so um, I should first preface this with by saying that leaving Roblox was a, an extremely difficult decision. It was one of the hardest choices that I, I've had to make um, in my career so far. But it was one of those things where, you know, an opportunity presented itself that was hard to say no to. And it would have been one Mm -hmm. of those things that if if I would have said no, uh, I would have always wondered, right? Like, what if, Mm -hmm. what if I would have taken that opportunity, you know, where, Mm -hmm. where would my career have gone and that sort of thing. Um, But anyways, uh, so yeah, I, I just joined Epic Games as a, as a senior UX designer. Uh, and that mm-hmm. the transition has been great so far, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm taking in a lot of information and context, but you know, all while meeting many, many great, talented people. You know, I love the team I'm working with, and the more I learn about the company and, and platform, the more excited I I get to be a part of it. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. And I know it's only the first few weeks, but 
do you know what type of work you're going to work on? Like, is it also related to like environmental tools um, or yeah, any other types of tools? Yeah, well, unfortunately, I can't really speak to too many details here, mm-hmm. but I can say that I am working on our marketplace ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I would say at a high level, there there have been a lot of similarities and, and differences when comparing the domains or the domain, I should say, that Epic, Roblox, and, and Unity are in. Mm. Uh, the main difference that I can speak to is for Epic is um, that they're approaching familiar problems in a very unique ways. And mm. one of the one of the biggest impressions that I've had so far is that I could really feel a level of passion from everyone mm. that I've met so far, and it's infectious. For me, it intensifies like my love for my own role, um, and I'm just I'm just really excited about what the, what the future holds. So, um, but yeah. unfortunately, I can't speak too many details there. No, totally understand. And again, huge congratulations for for landing a new role. Thanks, I appreciate that. Yeah, I know we're coming a bit short on time, so I do want to end with this final question. It's a question that I like to ask every guest at the very end, which is. If you're now facing yourself, but 20 years old, so back in college, what career slash life advice will you tell the young JC? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I would, I would tell myself to get some damn sleep. (laughs) No, but, uh, (laughs) but seriously, working um, in the gaming industry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. No, but, but seriously, I, I would, I would tell myself to stop worrying about things out of my control and Mm. continue practicing ways to deal with a busy mind, you know, and I say that because at that time I dealt with pretty severe anxiety and some depression Mm -hmm. around that Mm -hmm. age. And I I wish that I hadn't been so discouraged in in managing my mental health because, you know, I could have learned about the benefits of of mindfulness and and things Mm -hmm. like emotional intelligence, like so much sooner. You know, in addition to that, I would probably tell myself that what you believe to be true, how you perceive things to be, becomes a reality. And I I now apply that philosophy to every almost everything and and anything. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would honestly say that my my life has changed dramatically for the better ever since I started taking action using this mindset and Mm -hmm. um, getting into the habit of projecting positive thoughts and emotions outward you know when you're in a situation where you fail and are on the brink of giving up you know this mindset could could really determine your your perseverance yeah i think i guess another from what i'm hearing is self manifestation of positive reinforcing thoughts is that a good way of putting putting it definitely definitely and and i think like the the first bit is really about um, not being afraid to talk about mental health and mm-hmm. um, and seek help, you know what I mean? And I, I feel like it's really hard for, for people to do that because of the, the stigma that's associated with mental health um, challenges, right? And so, you know, that, that's kind of what the first bit is about, I guess. Yeah, I think probably especially working in the game industry, I feel like <laughs> that's even <laughs> because my my uncle also works in the game industry. And yeah, I feel like the term work-life balance is just way out of the picture <laughs> for, for anybody who's working. <laughs> oh, yeah. How these deep, 
in the deep end of game design, I feel like definitely it's a tough, tough one to deal with. Yeah, I mean, you really have to uh, have enough passion, right, mm-hmm. for that profession to be able to handle the season of, of crunch time and mm-hmm. the potential for a huge lack of, of work life balance, you know. Um, mm-hmm. for a lot of people, it's worth it and they, and they manage it. Um, but for some, it's, it's a lot harder to do so. Mm-hmm. And I think that caps off the conversation, the fireside chat that we have today. Just wanted to say a huge thank you, JC, for taking the time to join me on the show. Oh, definitely. I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I look forward to, to talking to you soon. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate your time. And again, before we say goodbye, my name is Guo, and you've just listened to the Not Just Pixel Show, and I'll see you in the next episode.